Amen. The Good Shepherd. What a, what a good Savior we have. What a good God we serve. If you have a Bible, please open with me to the book of 1 Peter. First uh, Peter chapter 2 this morning, and we'll be looking at verses 21 through 25. This is kind of the conclusion, the second part of a paragraph that we began last week. In verse 18, we're looking at this paragraph under the idea of submitting to suffering like Christ. And as we look at the glorious passage before us today, we want to consider the example of Christ. We saw last week how we should strive to find favor with God as we submit to hardship and suffering. And today we look at the climax of that idea as we look at the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, You come to some text of scripture and just thinking this week about this passage, you know the, the illustration of someone who can't see the forest for the trees. Scripture is like that in a sense, that the, the whole of Scripture is like a beautiful forest, and a passage of Scripture can even be like that. But sometimes you can miss the beauty of the forest for looking at the trees, and sometimes you can miss the beauty of the trees while trying to gaze at the, at the breadth of the forest. And this passage has some of both of that in it. So, so we want to see the whole of the passage, the example of Christ, But we want to see some of the details. It's in those details that we get exhortation. It's from these details that we are able to apply the scripture. So let's see the whole of the forest, but let's not miss the beauty of the trees. So let's look at this text of scripture together. I'll ask that you stand with me as we give attention to the reading of God's word. Let's pick up in 1 Peter chapter 1, or chapter 2. Verse 21, this is the word of God. It says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. I invite you now to bow with me as we go before the Lord in prayer. Our most gracious and heavenly Father, we come to you now with confidence. We come with confidence not in the strength of our flesh or the strength of our intellect, but confidence in the power of your Holy Spirit and your measureless grace given to us in Christ. Lord, as we consider the whole of the Christian life, we know the great duty 
of your people is to bring you glory by being conformed to the person and image of Christ. So as we consider this glorious example of Christ before us, I pray that you would humble our hearts, enlighten our minds, bring us to repentance, work within us a deeper devotion and a deeper sense of discipline as we strive to walk with you. Lord, again, we know that human means and human efforts will fail and will fall short of reaching the goal. But Lord, by the power of your Spirit, you conform us to Christ. By the power of your Spirit, you illuminate our minds to see and to understand your word. And so we ask and we beg for that this morning. That you would teach us, that you would show us Christ. That we would understand more of the depth of his sacrifice that we would understand more of the example and the pattern that he has given us to follow. That we understand the call to die to ourselves and that we would rest in the fact that we have been returned to Christ, the great shepherd and guardian of our souls. Lord, would you show us Christ? Would you reveal your glory through the teaching and preaching of your word? Lord, we greatly need your help, and we desire to honor you in all that we say and do as we're gathered together this morning. So would you be pleased and glorified to work your word powerfully in and among us by the moving of your Holy Spirit? Ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So as we've studied the epistle of Peter, this letter that Peter wrote to the churches who are scattered throughout the region, we know that Peter is writing to suffering saints. He's writing to those who are persecuted for their faith. And this passage is obviously no different. It's in the context of that idea of suffering saints. But I want you to consider as we look at this that the, the example of Christ that we consider here needs to be broadened out of that immediate context because we are to follow the example of Christ in every aspect of life. We don't only follow the pattern of Christ when we suffer. We follow Christ, we submit to Christ, we obey Christ in all things. Submission is, is the theme kind of surrounding these verses, verses 21 through 25. You have submission before, and as we get into chapter 3 and the weeks coming, you see the idea of submission within the Christian home. So as we consider submission to governing authorities and to those harsh rulers and masters that we considered last week and even moving forward, we understand that the great example of submission is Jesus Christ himself. And we look to his example not only in suffering, but in all things. We must look to the person and the work of Christ every moment of every day. So as we look to these verses, and we kind of just want to 
sketch out and fill in this, this one main idea. Peter tells us to follow Christ's example by suffering in purity, by suffering in righteousness, and that we must trust God's eternal justice. We must die to ourselves, and we must return, we must submit ourselves to the shepherd and the guardian of our souls. So follow Christ's example by suffering with purity and meekness, trusting God's justice, dying to ourselves, and returning and submitting to the shepherd of our souls. So that's kind of the, the big picture, and then we can get down into the details as we work through. Peter begins with kind of an imperative statement, and then he follows that up with three overarching exhortations as to how to live in light of that imperative statement. So let's look at the beginning of verse 21 and see that we are called for this purpose. We are called for this purpose of suffering for Christ. Peter begins this section, For you have been called for this purpose. It's very clear, right? You've been called for this purpose. Now, when Peter writes of being called in this letter, typically he's writing of the effectual call of God in salvation. So what we must understand is that this is a broad statement. When Peter says you're called for this purpose, when he uses the word called, it's not a narrow focus, but the broad focus of the effectual call of God in the salvation of his saints. So we are called effectually in this, this work that is accomplished, that is specific by the Lord. We are called to suffer. We are called to suffer because that suffering is part of the outworking of our salvation. Those who are in Christ will suffer for their faith. That is God's plan. You're called to be a follower of Christ. And just as you're called to follow Christ, you're also called to be a sufferer with Christ. You're called to be united and joined with him, to have fellowship with him in his sufferings. That is a distinct and direct purpose of your calling in salvation. We must get that through our heads. We must understand that the Christian life is not promised to be easy. It's not promised to be one without trouble or tribulation or even persecution. We're called to be like Christ. A servant is no greater than his master. If Christ suffered, we will suffer with him. Now, this does not mean that we enjoy hardships or that we go looking for a trial to walk through, for surely that would make no sense. But when those trials come, we remember that that is God's purpose being worked in us for one singular thing, that is for his glory. The Lord allows these trials and this suffering, this persecution for the faith, so that the power of Christ can be magnified in us and can be seen through our, our lives and the way that we live. We're called to endure suffering by following the example of Christ for his glory. Jesus talked about this in his earthly, earthly ministry. This was not a surprise to those early saints. In Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, 
He must deny himself. He must take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will find it. That is the calling on the life of a follower of Christ. You deny yourself, you take up your cross, and you willingly walk into suffering. We are called to give our lives to Christ for him to use for his purposes, and his purposes are always to the end of his glory. The idea of the calling and the purpose of the calling is continues throughout the rest of Peter's epistle. If you look over at chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, kind of a, a summary of, of this whole section, really. Verse 8 of chapter 3 says, To sum up, all of you be harmonious and sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. You were called to the purpose of being brotherly and kind-hearted and sympathetic and harmonious and not returning evil for insult, evil for evil and insult for insult, because that is part of our salvation. You will be hated and you must submit to the example of Christ as you walk through suffering. We must strive after this. This striving to submit to suffering like Christ does not save us. But when you follow the example of Christ in your suffering, you show who your Lord and who your master is. For it's only the servant of Christ who will suffer as his master suffered. So you are called to this purpose. So now let's look at the exhortations. Peter tells us to follow the example of Christ and then kind of works out what that example is and how we must follow it. So follow the example of Christ. Um, we can go through the rest of 21 through verse 23. He says, Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Christ did indeed suffer for his people. He suffered for his people, and we are not called to this purpose of suffering without an example and without a pattern to follow. We suffer because Christ suffered. In John 15, verse 20, he told his disciples, Remember the word I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But we know the world does not keep the word of Christ. They persecuted Christ, and so we are promised to walk through the fires. We know that persecution will come because we are not greater than Christ. Our walking through suffering, our walking through persecution is a fulfillment of the teaching of Christ. 
Understand that, that if the followers of Christ did not suffer and do not suffer for the faith, then Christ would have been a liar. Because he said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So this fulfills the word and the promise and even kind of the prophetic statement of Christ that his followers would suffer in the future. Peter says, since he suffered, you will also suffer. And he left you an example for you to follow in his steps. He left you an example for you to follow in his steps. That's a very active verb. It's a very active statement. Christ's example is not only something to see and to use for our encouragement, but it is an example that we must strive after. To, to follow in one's steps is this idea of walking in their footprints. If you've ever walked behind somebody, maybe on some wet sand, you know how those footprints are there, and you can take one step after another and follow in those exact steps. That's the command here. That's the exhortation here, that we look to the example of Christ and we walk the exact same way. Say that again. We walk the exact same way. We see that pattern and we follow after it to the letter. It's not legalism. It's obedience to Christ. This is one of the reasons I think that it's important to study the life of Jesus in the scriptures. Now, we all understand that all scripture is God-breathed. It's all profitable. It's all given for our edification and for our training and rebuke and reproof and to make us more like Christ. But if Christ is the great object of our faith, if he is the great example that we follow, how important must it be that we study his life and his work and his ministry? We, all scripture, of course, is true, and it's hard to even say this in a way that doesn't, doesn't minimize the other scripture. But Christ is the goal. Christ is the prize, and we see specific examples to follow. We are commanded to follow in his steps, so let us look at his steps. May we look at how he lived. May we look at how he interacted. May we look at how he discipled and taught and loved his disciples. May we look at how he loved the world, how he proclaimed the gospel of repentance. Look to Christ. Study him often. You know, one of the remarkable things about the ministry of John MacArthur is how much time he spent preaching through the gospels. We can never really even begin to scratch the surface of the depth of the riches of the knowledge of Christ. So let's study him. Let's know him. Let's know his word and his commands because if we love him, we will obey his commands. We ought to rejoice and we ought to rest greatly in the salvation that Christ has earned for us. That is a command of Scripture to rejoice in that salvation and to rest in that work that he has done. 
But we must also strive greatly to follow his example. So we rest in his work and we strive to follow his example. So Peter says, he left an example for us to follow in his steps. And then Peter lays out what that example looked like, specific to this context of suffering. He says, firstly, he committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. He was pure, he was righteous, and he was truthful. You know, to, we'll kind of put single terms on, on a few of these things. And to think about verse 22, Verse 22, we see that Jesus was pure, that he was righteous, that he was without any contaminant. He committed no sin. He was completely perfect in every respect. Jesus had no reason to be deceitful because he never had anything to hide or to cover up. What is the reason for people to be deceitful? It's when they want to hide or cover up something they've done. Jesus committed no sin and there was no deceit in his mouth because everything he did was up front and out in the clear for any and everyone to see because he was holy. When you consider the call to follow Christ and to follow his example, really this is where we must start. The example of a righteous, pure life. In the context of suffering here, we understand that Christ left us an example of how to suffer in in the most unjust circumstances. And so we understand from that the call for us, his people, his sheep, to be pure and to be righteous in all circumstances call for us, his people, to be pure and righteous in all circumstances. Think back to the beginning of of this section in 1 Peter chapter 2. Back at verse 12, he said, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Keep your behavior excellent excellent and pure and morally upright as a testimony to the power of the gospel. Strive after Christ to show what a powerful and great Savior he is. Now as you walk through unjust suffering, as you suffer for the faith, how might you end that suffering? There's but one way out of persecution, and it's compromise. It's compromise. So the question is, are you going to compromise your following after the example of Christ because the fire gets too hot, because the suffering gets too difficult? When the world turns the heat up on those of us who follow Christ, you do have a way of escape in the here and now, in the present. And as that you deny Christ and you follow the ways of the world. But there's an eternal way of escape as well, and that is to submit to the lordship of Christ, to walk in the power of the Spirit, and trust in the grace that God supplies each and every day. 
So when you suffer, are you going to be pure and righteous? Or will you follow the ways of the world, compromise your faith, and ease your suffering in the present? So we're called to be pure, to follow Christ's example. Next word that we could add to this is the word kindness. Look at verse 23, the beginning. It says, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. Now, in a way, to me, it seems overly simplistic to define or describe Jesus as kind. As he suffered such a great injustice, as he suffered so greatly, to, add the, to use the term kindness to describe him just seems to fall short. But when we talk about this reviling, it's that hatred, that abusive speech, that slander and that malice and the example of Christ that we see is that he was kind. He was not willing to revile in return. And if you've ever had someone spew hate speech at you, you know the only way that you can respond in kindness is if you have a kind heart. When you are hated and reviled for Christ, the true colors of your heart will show. Either you respond in kindness as Christ did, and maybe you just don't utter a word, or perhaps you don't have a kind heart and you want to turn around and speak evil back to the one who is hating you. Christ was kind. We'll see in a moment that he was also meek. But just about this idea of kindness, imagine being the king of kings, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We are not that, but just Imagine that position of Christ. He is over and he is above all. And these very men that he had created, that he had given life to, are throwing this horrendous, hateful abuse at him. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter in silence without opening his mouth because one of the marks of Christ is that he was kind and that he was gentle. Meekness and gentleness is, is the next description that we can give as we move forward in verse 23. While being reviled, he did not revile in return, and while suffering, he uttered no threats. While suffering, he uttered no threats. Now, we've talked about this idea of gentleness and meekness as we studied uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians, right? It's one of the fruit, it, it is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It, it is one of the things that the Spirit of God works in those of us who follow Christ. And the example and the description of Christ here is the clearest that we see in all of Scripture. You, you know we've talked about Meekness is a hard idea to kind of wrap our minds around because it's so foreign to our flesh. It's so foreign to our culture, but Christ is the greatest example of that. He is such a clear example that while he was suffering, he uttered no threats. He did not use his power against these people. He didn't even utter a threatening word to them. He could have surely said, you will one day be condemned and go suffer in hell. And he would have been just and right to say that. But as an example, as an example 
of meekness and gentleness, he uttered to them no threats. You may have heard meekness defined before as being power under control. Power under control. It is the opposite of self-assertiveness. It is the opposite of acting in self-interest. And isn't that so interesting? Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one to whom all glory and honor and praise is due, is shown as acting in the opposite of self-interest because he's building all things up to his ultimate glory. Jesus had the power, and he even had the right to tell those who were attacking and tormenting him of their just condemnation that would have come. But Jesus left an example so that we would follow in his steps. While suffering, he uttered no threat. So this example, we're to follow the example of Christ. Jesus was pure, he was kind, and he was meek. And there's something that undergirds all of that. There's something in the text that shows how and why Christ was able to do that. Again, mostly in an example for us to follow. Look at the last part of verse 23. It says that he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Some, some texts, I think, might read, him who judges justly. That, that rolls off the tongue, him who judges justly. That is our God, the just and righteous judge. This is the key to following Christ in suffering. It's that you know who is on the throne you know that the Lord says, vengeance is mine, and I will repay. We are not to take our vengeance, but we submit ourselves to the just judge. Because we know the justice that we deserved. But we know that that justice was laid upon Christ. That wrath was borne by Christ at the cross. And we entrust ourselves to our Father, who is a good and a righteous judge, even when we are being hated and slandered and reviled and suffering greatly, you must entrust yourself to the righteous judge. MacArthur said here that undergirding Jesus' peaceful, resolute acceptance of suffering was an unshakable confidence in the perfectly righteous plan of him who judges righteously. That was Jesus' strength, an unshakable confidence in the righteous justice of his Father. So you ask yourself the question, do I have an unshakable confidence in the righteous justice of the Lord? Because if you do have that unshakable confidence in God's justice, you will never seek to repay. You will never return evil for evil. You will never return insult for insult or anger for anger or slander for slander because God is just. And that sin of that person who is attacking you will be paid for. It will be paid for them by eternity in hell or it was laid upon Christ at the cross if they are one of his elect. Trust 
God as a righteous judge and submit yourself to suffering. Follow the example of Christ. Commit yourself. Deliver yourself over continually to the plans of the Lord because you know that your eternal home is the place where this full vindication, this full deliverance, this full experience of God's justice will be found because you as a saint of God will know the fullness of justice being poured out on Christ and you being counted righteous and being allowed to come to the Lord's presence forever. So we're to follow Christ's example. Thirdly, coming to verse 24, we see kind of an overarching command as to to what drives us to following Christ's example, what drives us in following Christ's example, and that's the exhortation to die to yourself. Die to yourself. Verse 24 says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Dear friends, what a glorious picture of the work of Christ. What a glorious picture of what he did and why he did it. Again, back to the forest and the trees illustration. This is a tree with many limbs to, to stop and to observe and to think about. And we're just going to skim the surface because time doesn't permit us to dig down as deep into this view of the work of Christ that would be maybe even helpful and beneficial. Peter says he bore our sins in his body on the cross. To bear our sins speaks about Christ taking the weight of our sins upon himself for the sake of bearing that load. You deserve wrath. You deserve eternal wrath and condemnation for your sin. Dear friend, that wrath would crush you. It would crush you every moment for the rest of eternity. That's the weight of God's wrath against our sin, that we don't die and we suffer for a little while while and then we just cease to exist. God's punishment for our sin is so great that you would suffer destruction for all eternity. But Christ is your shepherd. He is your priest. And he is your sacrifice. You know, Paul Washer described Jesus in one of his sermons as being a broad-shouldered, strong-backed Savior who bore the eternal load of God's wrath against you. You just think about that in the picture of of weightlifting, about how we could just be so easily crushed under a certain amount of weight on our shoulders. That's what your sin would do. It would crumble you. But Christ bore that sin. He took it upon himself. He not only took the cup of wrath, but he drank it down to the last drop. He took the cup and he drank it. You would take that cup and drink it for all eternity, but he took it and he drank it at the cross.
cross. That is where our hope lies. And friends, remember that Christ did that. He bore that horrible weight for you. He did it with joy. Hebrews 12, 2 says that he did it for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of God. There was a joy set before Christ. He had a joyful heart and a joyful spirit when he bore the punishment for your sins because he knew there was a future glory. Dear friend, follow the example of Christ. When you suffer, do it with joy because it is working in you an eternal weight of glory that you will know in eternity because it's an eternal weight of glory. And I said we could, we could spend hours, weeks, months considering this. Just think this is the glory and the love and the goodness of Christ in our redemption. But Peter also lays forth a specific purpose of this work of Christ. He says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that, so that for the express and direct purpose that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. He died so that you would die to sin and live to righteousness. Now, the word for die here in the Greek is a word that speaks of being separated from something, to, to be moved away from something. It, it talks about being completely, utterly alienated from something, from our sins in this point, in this context. It's used in what they call the aortist middle voice. What that means is it's a past action with present results. Now, there's a lot of passivity in that. It's a past action with present results that are even passive in us because it's God working in us. But there's present results that are lived out, that are seen, that are made visible by the way that you die to your sin by the way that you cut off the arm of the flesh, by the way that you resist temptation, by the way that you show patience, by the way that you show love, by the way that you walk in peace and joy in the most difficult of circumstances. Die to sin. Christ bore your sin not so that you would continue in it, but that you would die to it. to think about that idea of being separated there's this picture in the book of Leviticus Matthew Henry has a quote he says that as the scapegoat did typically bear our sins bear the sins of the people on his head and then he carried them far away so does the lamb of God bear our sins in his body and then take away our sins so there's this picture of the scapegoat in the Old Testament that I, th I think it's just a helpful picture to understand what Christ did to separate us from our sins. Leviticus 16, I'm going to read for you verses 20 through 22. It says, And when he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat, the scapegoat, 
Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat, and he shall confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. That's a lot of all. He would confess and place on the scapegoat, on the head of the scapegoat, all of these sins. And then it continues, He shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a solitary land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Just picture that. A goat running off into the wilderness, never to be seen again. That is what Jesus did. He acted as that scapegoat, bearing your sins on his head, separating you from the power and from the penalty of those sins. From the power and the penalty. He bore the penalty, separated you from the power so that you might die to sin and live in righteousness. The, the idea of living to righteousness is the same idea as dying to sin. It's a, a past action with present results. I'm always, in this type of text, drawn to Romans 6. Paul's words in Romans 6 verse 4. He says, Therefore we have been buried with him, with Jesus, through baptism into death, so that as Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. We were buried with Christ, we were raised with Christ, so that we can walk in newness of life. That means that you don't love your sin anymore. It means that those things that your flesh craves and holds on to and, and strives after, they are released because you are new in Christ. The old things have passed away. The new things have come. Those new things are new desires, new passions, new pleasures. You take joy in the glory of your saving God. Jesus bore your sin in his body on the cross so that you would die to the old life and be made alive to new desires and new passions and new pursuits. So die to yourself and live for righteousness. Die to yourself because you are made alive to righteousness. So we have seen that we are called to a purpose. We are called to follow the example of Christ. We are called to die to ourselves. And lastly, in verse 25, we are called to return to our shepherd. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. This is, is really the great climax of this whole section. You know, there's a kind of a beginning to reach the peak of the mountain as we consider what Christ did at the cross in verse 24. But we reached the peak here, that we were straying like sheep, but the Lord in his kindness and mercy has returned us to Christ as our shepherd and as the guardian of our souls. 
Firstly, he says, you were continually straying like sheep. You were wandering. You were helpless. You were lost. You were hopeless. You were living without purpose. You were like a sheep without a shepherd. We all know the biblical analogy of sheep. Sheep are not intelligent animals. You've probably seen the video of those sheep that will just go dive into a crack that are pulled out and then it goes jumps right back into that, that crack in the earth because sheep are not intelligent. They're helpless. They are defenseless. And that is all of our condition apart from and before Christ. We're straying like sheep. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray and each has turned to his own way. That was your life before Christ. You're wandering, you're helpless, you're hopeless, but you were called, right? You were called to a purpose, to suffer for Christ because you belong to Christ. You were called by your shepherd to return to your shepherd, to come back to your shepherd. And this returning is in the passive voice. It's a passive action because you would not have returned on your own. You were returned to the shepherd and guardian of your soul by the working of the shepherd and guardian of your soul. This verse 25 really should be the ultimate encouragement should be the ultimate purpose of our enduring hardship because we know that we have a shepherd. We know that we have a guardian of our souls. And we understand the clear reference of Christ, right? We read it earlier in John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. We understand Christ as a shepherd, what about the term guardian? What does that mean? It's actually the Greek term episkopos. It's where we get the, the idea of an overseer. So it's something that's applied to the under-shepherds of Christ in the church, the elders of the church. And it's not otherwise used in Scripture to describe Christ. So what, what is this idea of episkopos in, in this sense? It's one who keeps watch over something. It's one who keeps watch over someone who guards and protects and sustains. So this is the great comfort as you walk through any kind of suffering. And in this context, it's the suffering of persecution. But this applies to, to all suffering. It applies to all of life. Whatever the trial may be, whatever the Lord may allow or cause to come to pass in your life, know that you have already been delivered over and given to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. He is watching out over you. He is sustaining you. He will keep you. He will preserve you. And he will cause you to press on when you think that all your strength has failed, guess what? It has, because your strength is not sufficient. But you are a child of the Most High. You are a sheep of the Good Shepherd. 
and he is your shepherd, and he is your guardian. So really, as we work towards a summary, really we end exactly where we began. Follow the example of Christ in suffering by doing so in purity and in truthfulness, by suffering in meekness and in gentleness, by entrusting yourself to him who judges righteously, by dying to yourself, and you do all that knowing that you have a good shepherd who guards you and keeps you and who loves you and will sustain you. You are a sheep of the king of the universe. And he says he will never leave you nor forsake you. Take strength in that promise today and every day. What more could we ask of the Lord than to be redeemed by the work of Christ, empowered by his spirit to live as he commands, and that promise that we will always be kept by the Lord. What more could we ask for? What more could we need? May we see this glorious example of Christ. May the Lord keep it ever and always before us, in the front of our minds and upon our hearts. May we devote ourselves to faithfully serve the one who faithfully gave himself for us and who faithfully keeps us. Let's close in prayer.